of the New Age Boxing Podcast. Today, with me, you have Terry Theobald. I'm, <laughs> I'm combining the roles of two this time. Martin's not with us. Martin um, isn't with us, unfortunately. We've given him compassionate leave after having to go to your call yesterday to watch what kind of been the most interesting of cards. Oh, can't believe you said that. That's going to come I, back to haunt us. I'm just being honest. I'm not speaking for the whole podcast, just as a boxing fan. There was a lot of recycling done on that card. Well, we're going to leave that up to Martin to summarise next week, so we'll come Thank back. You. To, <laughs> we're going to come back to that next week because, frankly, there's so much on our plate anyway. There's more than enough to keep us occupied on this podcast this week. So, what I wanted to talk about straight away, really, well, you might as well. What I'd we'll do it in somewhat chronological order. Kovalev, Isaac Chalemba, uh, they fought on Monday. How did that go down? Yeah, very unusual to have a boxing bout on a Monday, but I guess in Russia they do things differently. Um, Sergei Kovalev needed a show in Russia. I guess it's a homecoming. Um, interesting, it was the same location where the last time he fought, he killed the guy in the ring. Well, the guy died in the ring. I can't say he killed him. It's not the right way to describe it. So, <laughs> obviously, emotionally, you know, he's in an interesting place. So, I don't know if anyone else saw the fight, and tweet me with your reactions to the fight. I saw the fight, and I thought Kovalev looked completely off. Um, you know, I, I heard an interview with John David Jackson, and the conclusion I drew was, there are problems in the Kovalev camp. In the words of John David Jackson, Sergei needs to realize he can't be a boxer, a promoter, and a ticket seller. So, this came under the banner of, I think it was Crusher Promotions, which is his own promotional vehicle. And, you know, we've learned this historically with Gaza Audley Harrison. Sometimes you've got to leave the promotion to the promoters and you've got to leave the boxing to the boxers. So he looked out of sorts, but we also have to look at what Chilemba is. So Isaac Chilemba is a guy who's never been stopped. You know, this is the guy that fought twice with Tony Bellew. Tony will tell you he beat him the first time, but he's the only one that believes that. So he's he's a slippery, tricky awkward customer and you can see exactly why Kovalev would want that as a tune-up fight for Ward being honest he's nothing like Ward and if I was Andre Ward and I know Ward says he didn't watch the fight I would watch that fight and it would spur me to train harder because I think Ward at 100% comfortably outpoints Sergey Kovalev I just Kovalev he's too linear he's too stiff he's what I call a corner-to-corner boxer and I know Andy you're going to ask me what a corner-to-corner <laughs> boxer is of course I am, to tee you up for whatever you're deciding to say. <laughs> so, what is a corner-to-corner boxer? Terry? A corner-to-corner boxer is a guy who has to sit in his corner, take instructions, do that for three minutes, come back, get more instructions. Andre Ward's not a corner-to-corner boxer because he makes adjustments in the ring. So guys like Floyd Mayweather really don't have to go back to the corner for instructions. They know where they are in the fight and they know what they're doing. So what? <laughs> is that shorthand for stupid? <laughs> like, you've got to sort of like... So if you're a... a a, a boxer like Mayweather who can think on his feet and organise himself in the ring to make adjustments, sure that makes him a brighter, more intelligent fighter? Oh, by far. Um, Go back to the Mayweather-Pacquiao fight. Think how many times in that fight Pacquiao looked re- completely confused. He didn't know whether Mayweather was being real or whether he was setting traps to the point where he just thought, you know what, screw this, I'm not throwing any more punches. And then people said it was a rubbish fight. But essentially, Pacquiao got so confused and Freddie Roche didn't have the answers. So what what ends up happening, you're a corner-to-corner fighter. You can't make the adjustments. I think you'll find skill and timing will defeat brute force. And, you know, Ward should train hard, but he shouldn't be overly worried about the threat Kovalev poses. It's not, you know, you can take that performance with a pinch of salt, admittedly, because it's not Andre Ward. But if you don't have that harmony with John David Jackson, and what worried me was John David Jackson sounded like he'd had enough of Kovalev. And what one of the things he said, and this worries me when a trainer says this, he said, Sergey needs to realize who the trainer is, who the experienced man in the corner is, 
because it's not him. Which which alludes to So not only does he need instructions in order to make adjustments, he then struggles to take them on board in the first place. Is that what we decipher from that? Yes. I think sometimes you just gotta trust your trainer. And I think as Kovalev becomes more successful and more well known, there are probably people in his ear saying, Look, you're the main event here. You're the reason these guys are eating well. Therefore, you should have more of a say. You know, sometimes these things go to your head, you know. But to be honest, Sergei Kovalev is that guy at work who can stay late and can brown nose a boss. But you, st- you stick him on his own and he's utterly clueless. And you know that sort of guy that eventually gets found out. And then once he's found out, he never has the same status again. Well, just to rescue the f- you from the um, when you were talking about Kovalev killing someone in the ring, Martin's already said that on this podcast many times. <laughs> he's actually gone as far as just saying he's killed a man in the ring and then gone to uh, illustrate how much of an animal he is because of it. So, he's, Kovalev's not an animal, but what I like about Sergei Kovalev is this. He throws his punches perfectly and if we get if we get time to discuss the Terence Crawford-Victor Postal fight later, which is interesting you'll find postals a very similar guy where they're not big and they're not muscular but what they do is they really twist through on their punches so they get that extra 15 percent of snap because they twist through their punches it's the legacy of the russian system where they drill these things into you you know know, the russians and the cubans are like that they they mechanize their fighters and that's why you find that there's there's a little bit more pop in some of these russian fighters punches okay moving on then to the rigandau dickens fight what did you make of this um, so Guillermo Rigandau beats Jazza Dickens at the Ice Arena in Cardiff. Um, obviously, it's for Rigandau's WBA strap. Beats him. Dickens retires at the end of the second round, beginning of the third round, with a broken jaw. Oh, I saw that. That was disgusting, that punch. I mean, it looked sickening when it, you see, you know, it looked like he had a rubber jaw by the, by the end of that punch. The swelling was, oh, man, the, you could just see the swelling. And, and if you notice what happened, as soon as he got hit with that shot, he started moving a lot quicker. You could see that he was, he was definitely like, I just need to get to the end of this round because I'm screwed. <laughs> you know? oh. and, and, the, and the problem with Rigandau is as he starts to speed up, more of those left hands are going to land on your jaw. So probably sensible that his corner pulled him out. You know, it looked like there was a bit of resistance. But I don't know if I speak for anyone else when I say an absolutely horrible fight to watch. It was just pathetic. It was a massive letdown. You bring over Guillermo Rigondeaux, supremely talented, one of the finest exponents of the Cuban style. Um... People say he's like Mayweather. No, he's not like Mayweather. He's Guillermo Rigondeau. His his ability to throw a one-two, you know, fold over to the left, pivot out to the left, and come back out and make you look like a child is incredible. And, you know, almost invented his own move by doing that. So he's technically impressive. But when you come over to the UK and we give you a chance to make money, you're supposed to entertain us. You know, for all the Box Nation subscribers out there and the guys who paid their money to watch the to watch the show you want to be entertained this guy's a supreme talent and he did nothing for two rounds outside of that left hand he threw he did absolutely nothing and i was annoyed by that because it was a real chance for him to say i'm going to please the british fans you know we've had shannon briggs come over here and make the country fall in love with him and he hasn't had a he hasn't had a meaningful fight here yet we put rigging down a meaningful fight and he, to us he stinks the place out there was no atmosphere there was no excitement is is he, it's an interesting one because is it his duty or is it is that what he's there to do to entertain or is he there to win the fight? I mean, that's you know what would you say was the most pressing issue that he has to deal with? If you just want to win fights, do the Olympics. Don't don't be a professional because being a professional, you're your own business. But you, you spoke about Mayweather just a minute ago. Mayweather, in my mind, was about winning the fights he didn't care about how much people you know enjoyed the fight so to speak it was finding a way to win no no mayweather castillo mayweather castillo too i'm hoping it's not corrales too sorry um mayweather gatti mayweather baldemir mayweather has 49 fights and i think at least 40 of those are him just battering people it's only when his hands got a bit bristle and he realized actually i'm so far ahead of these guys I can win in second gear. And then you saw a far more cagey style. But you still saw 
a high punch output and a high punch accuracy. Mayweather still hurt people and hurt them regularly. You know, it was still, you know, if you're a boxing purist, you could watch Floyd and go, you've given me things I can take away from this defensively, things I can take away from this offensively. Rigandau, defensively, incredible. Offensively, just garbage. Utter garbage, you know. <laughs> it was just disappointing because Dickens isn't anyone special. This is the guy who got stopped by Kid Galahad. You know, maybe they should have put Galahad in there with Rigandau. I don't know what would have brought something out of him, but he's just not a guy who's going to come out on the front foot. So I think... You know, most people were probably glad that fight stopped when it did because I didn't see it picking up any speed. I don't know where Rigondeaux goes next. He's essentially blackballed off HBO, blackballed off Golden Boy. No one really wants to work with him because there is no money with Rigondeaux. He just doesn't bring anything to the table. It's a shame, that isn't it? That's not a shame. He he knows the game. Like you know, if you're yeah. that committed to your principles that you don't want to change, fine. When you end up. 65 years old and broke you had your chance okay so what 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 principles is he holding true to that that is cost is costing him then this idea that he's only a counter puncher he's only a counter puncher he's going to bait you into making mistakes what he's not going to do is he's not going to come and just just demolish you which he could do so you think altering his skill to be more entertaining is the key to making himself more popular and therefore more financially profitable he (laughs) needs He needs to give people hope. And the thing about Mayweather was Mayweather was good enough. He gave you just enough vulnerability that you thought he could be beaten. <laughs> yeah, know? he did tend to do that, didn't yeah, he? Yeah. He, he was smart <laughs> enough to go, do you know what? I'm going to get caught by a few shots that are low risk, but high impact. And you saw it with the Maidana fight where Maidana was just wailing to the body, but Floyd had his elbows in the right place. So he was like, I'm okay. But the fans are loving this. I can hear the noise. So there was enough there from Floyd where he'd say, I want them to believe I can be beaten. And then just when they get that hope, I extinguish it. And then they'll buy the next one. Okay, uh, Flanagan Farner was on the same card as the Rigandale Dickens. How did you see this one go? Um, so Terry Flanagan Farner, Farner's been boxing since the 90s. Um, it's probably not a fight that Flanagan wanted, but it's, you know, business is business. He's got bills to pay. Um, dropped the guy twice. I think it was in the fourth and the twelfth. Nothing to write home about. Flanagan boxed well within himself. You know, Frank's got to give him a challenge. If Collar won't take the fight, give him the Rancis Bartholomew fight. You know, let start to steal some of Anthony Crawler's thunder. You know, if if Crawler's gonna fight Linares, why not fight Bartholomew? And then you've said right. We probably fought the best 135 pounder. You know, map out that path that says that, and then you beat him. You fight Robert Easter Jr. Um, do you beat Robert Easter Jr.? I don't think anyone beats Easter Jr. at 135. Supreme talent. You know, another one of the pro- products from what I call the the Ohio boxing miracle. Okay, so what else happened on that card? Um, well, a couple of highlights: Bradley Skeet winning again, so still European, you know, European champion. Looking at that WBO route, um, trying to work out, is that the belt Pacquiao holds? I think it is the belt that Pacquiao holds. If I'm wrong, someone pull me up on that. So, you know, that might be Bradley Skeet moving into the big leagues. How Frank manages that transition will be interesting. Um, you know, Skeet's done well. You've got to give credit to his trainer, Eddie Lamb. Um, Eddie's a guy I've known for a while. You know, it's good to see young trainers coming through and, you know, giving something different to the traditional Gallagher-Sims axis that seems to be ruling British boxing at the moment. Really, really, you know, excited for what the future holds for the guys at that iBox gym. Um, and then, do you want know, card was just some, some good, good domestic dust-ups, really, but nothing where you're going to cry and say, do you know what, that was great. But give Frank Warren credit, that was a good card to have Definitely television worthy. Was it pay per view worthy? Borderline. Um, definitely better than some of the matchroom cards we've seen. So it was overall it was a good card. If you managed to watch it, I'm sure you left feeling that wasn't too bad at all. Speaking of uh, Frank Warren, did you see the uh, IFL interview with uh, with Frank? I haven't caught up on that one yet, but I imagine he was typically incendiary as he normally is about the Eubanks. <laughs> That's exactly what he was. He was talking, he, he, first of all, all he kept repeating was the fact that 
Eubank Senior is a phony. Um, he also said that he's so difficult to work with in the sense that he wants to, as we've kind of spoken about before, he wanted to increase ticket prices, but he wanted things like 100 VIP seats for himself around the ring and for his own disposal, you know, um, and how he wanted all this promoter controls we've kind of got to before. But all Frank Warren said, he, no one will work with him. I will never work with him again. The man's a complete phony and he's ruining his son's career. And if his son's got anything to do with it, then his son's also ruined his own career. But if he's not, then he needs to get out of it because his dad's ruined his career. He just really went for them. If I'd, I'd employ you to have a listen to it yourselves, because he really goes at him tooth and nail. But the thing about Chris Eubank is, if if you've read his book or if you looked at any history of Chris Eubank, Chris Eubank dances to his own tune. So if you go back to when he was training, yeah, he had Ronnie Davis in the corner. But he would tell Ronnie Davis what the training consisted of. Ronnie Davis was just, was just there to facilitate orders. So if you go that far back, you're like, well, you guys, you know, Matchroom and Frank Warren were dealing with that same man all those years ago. Well, it's funny you mentioned his boxing career because he actually, Frank touched upon that. He, he said, he actually went as far as to say that Eubank was, well, how much he actually said, I don't know. It was more of like implied, but it was... He's a he's a fake, and he basically boxed his way through boring fights and average fights. It's only when he went onto Frank's cards against the likes of Steve Collins, um, Atal, where he was beaten. He said everyone he fought on my um on my cards beat uh, beat him. Steve Collins, Carl Thompson, and uh, Joe Calzaghe. Yes, well, let's look at it like this. Michael Watson probably never had the opportunity to leave the shores to go and test himself against the Americans. Nigel Ben went to America, battered Iran Barkley, battered Doug DeWitt. So the Americans respect Nigel Ben to this day because he came over and did what he had to do. Avoided Roy Jones Jr., avoided James Tony, but fought Gerald McClellan and Gerald McClellan was feared. So Nigel Ben has the respect of the Americans because, you know, he went out there to prove himself. Eubank avoided all of that. But, you know, when you hear Eubank talk, Eubank never cared about building this illustrious legacy. What he wanted to do was maximize revenue and minimize risk. So you can't be surprised that he's still that sort of person now, somewhat awkward, somewhat cantankerous. That's just Chris. <laughs> somewhat cantankerous. That's generous. Um, okay, so let's talk about the Wilder Areola fight. Uh so Wilder wins again. What can you tell me about it? So context, you know, everyone knows Wilder was meant to fight Alexander Povetkin. Then Povetkin allegedly failed the test. Then they said, no, no drama. He's fine. So Povetkin was back in the mix, but you couldn't get that fight on again. So Wilder then said, I need a fight, you know, to keep me ticking over or I'll get stale. So Ariola was picked, you know, three weeks or whatever it was, noticed to fight Deontay Wilder. Probably wasn't enough. Wilder Wilder looked in shape, looked slightly bigger than he's been, looked about 10 to 12 pounds bigger than he's been before. Um, probably a sign that he's realizing you've got to bulk up in the heavyweight division because there's some big guys out there. I was thinking that, I was just, as you said that, I was just thinking of asking you that if, if you think that's a tactic that he's using to then gradually build himself up for maybe big opponents such as Andy Joshua, such as Tyson Fury, such as maybe a, a Klitschko fight, I don't know. I think when he gets when he gets to those fights, he'll probably be weighing around two three five, two three seven in terms of pounds. Um, so that's probably sixteen ten, sixteen eleven, which is a probably it's a good weight for him because he's incredibly lean, you know, and he could definitely do with building up his legs to increase that punch resistance. So, in the background, he's got the lawsuit with Povetkin, where he's suing Povetkin for five million. Povetkin's counter suing for defamation. You know, so hopefully, you know, that'll get sorted out. Likely the the WBC will mandate that to be a fight. Court case and politics are always a winner with boxing fans. They love all that stuff. Lawyers love boxing. <laughs> you know, it's 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 for them it's it's a nice little bonus. So annoying, isn't yeah, it, for fans if you, though? If your chargeable hours are low, just find a lawsuit <laughs> boxing and you're you're okay for a while. So Wilder wins, merciful stoppage. Was it just how do you describe that fight? You know, I know there's the broken hand and the torn bicep on the right-hand side. He said he was going to look at... A, he had to go, he was going to go to a specialist because of this now. Yeah, it's the second time his hand's gone. 
Um, Any theories as to why that's... Doesn't punch properly, doesn't really know where he's punching, doesn't really look at what he's punching. So he's probably catching a lot of elbows. He catches the top of the head a lot because he's so wild. Fighters have a chance to get under his punches. So he ends up hitting them around the back of the head a lot. Um, You know, just just wild and... Is he he a legit world champion? I mean, I know he is, but like, is he just a champion because no one with actual any class has come up against him yet, do you think? So, if we look at the chronology of it, when he fought Bermain Stavern for that title, the only other person that could have made that fight legitimate was probably Klitschko. Fury hadn't fought anyone yet. So, the Fury then wasn't the Fury of now. The Joshua then wasn't the Joshua of now. We hadn't had a Brazil. We hadn't had anyone up there that could really challenge. So, the WBC put him and Stavern together. And Stavern... You know, people will try and talk him up in the future if he becomes an Anthony Joshua opponent. But Stavern's a nobody. You know, in no era would Bermain Stavern be a relevant factor. He doesn't throw enough punches. Too lazy, too slow, too old. But he beat him fair and square in quite an impressive performance. It was his best performance by far. He boxed. You know, he's trained by Mark Breland. Mark Breland, one of the great amateurs of the last 30 to 40 years, um, if I remember correctly, he boxed in the 84 Olympics. You know, was he six foot one at welterweight or something along those lines? Came, <laughs> came out the cronk gym. So he did a lot of work with guys like Tommy Hearns. So, so if he's got this like established, you know, sort of like uh, pedigreed amateur boxer as his coach, why can't he punch properly? He, he doesn't need to. discipline or... No, he just doesn't need to. Because the thing about Wilder well, he's is... He's breaking his hand at the moment. Once he's got you hurt, he would tend to flurry on you. He's like a really, really crude David Hay. Like if you watch when when David's got you hurt, I'm gonna hit you until my hand breaks, and then I'm gonna hit you with my broken hand. Pretty much. So 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 once David's got you hurt, he'll take you out. But David will place his punches. There's a fair degree of accuracy there. Wilder won't. He'll just bludgeon you until you collapse. You know he has enough power to do that. But the problem you have with Deontay Wilder is. You know, and admittedly, he got the the stoppage in this fight. But the problem you have with him is when you face guys like Fury and Joshua. Yes, I I just don't think he's got enough class to be. He's he seems to me a level below world class. That's what I would. That's what I put. I mean, clearly he's a he's a he's a world boxing champion, if you like. But when you look at the likes of Klitschko, Fury, and I I realize you just said Fury and. AJ, but also someone like Klitschko is clearly a classy boxer. I just think they take Wilder apart, and they all these bums they keep throwing in front of Wilder, and he's and he's like making mincemeat of him. I just don't. It's just I I think it, it just feels very disingenuous to me. That's all. So when I look at Wilder, the problem Wilder has is he never controls the middle. Um, so in boxing, what I call the middle is the width of the shoulders. He never controls that. If you, um, for anyone who saw the fight. The amount of time he was backing up against a Chris Ariola who really didn't want to get punched in the face, that was worrying. You know, he, he resorted to, to lead hooks or jab into a left hook. All these sorts of things where you're looking at him going, you're not taking this fight seriously. And then what happens? Instead of taking the guy out in two rounds like he should have done, like Anthony Joshua would have done, he extends it. He does the stupid hula hooping thing in the fourth round. Then he breaks his hand and it's almost karma. And it's saying, you know, if you don't take your job seriously, these things will happen to you. Um, He's on the shelf now till the summer, at least. Where does he go next? I genuinely don't know. If I'm Anthony Joshua, I'm making that fight for next summer. If I'm David Hay, I want that fight too. Tyson Fury definitely wants that fight. Um, In the States, Lewis Ortiz will rip him apart. All these guys now see the weaknesses and, Wilder needs a dominant performance to restore fear in the division. Because when he beats Stavern, you looked at him and went, as a technician, I genuinely think this guy's learned his lessons. Yeah, I realise he hasn't fought every, every... I'm sort of corrected what I said. Not every single person that Wilder's fought has been a bum. I accept, I accept that, but yeah. I, I, but, but he was troubled by Spilker. Let's not forget that. Spilker's a six foot one, six foot two heavyweight who was able to give him all kinds of trouble because... He can't control the middle. So what Wilder can't throw 
a narrow channel jab backhand. He can't do that. What is this? Is this um, just base talent that he doesn't have, or is it a problem with his coaching? Boxing intelligence? What, what, what is he missing? The thing is, he's getting the job done, which almost validates his his mm. backwards thinking. You know, Until you lose, you won't make changes. <sighs> no, and look, no. the guy's what? 37 fights in, 36 stoppages, or it might be 30, 38, 37. It's one of the two. The record's comparable to Golovkin. Like all the things you can level at Golovkin, you can level at Wilder. Not convinced by who he's fought. You know, why why is he not taking the hard fights? Those sorts of things. So if Golovkin's pound for pound number one, you know, it's hard to argue against guys like Wilder because he's got the numbers too. Okay, so Wilder wins to retain the WBC Heavyweight Championship. Moving on to... Arthur Abraham versus Lehaug, Lehaug, how do you pronounce his name? Uh, Lehaug. Lehaug, well, that wasn't too bad then. Um, and on that card, there was a few English names. Um, so run us, through, run us through what that fight and then the card entailed. So Abraham, um, you know, Arthur Abraham, most British fans remember the fights he had with Paul Smith, where, to be honest, he boxed well within himself, won two fights comfortably. Um Fighting the how, you know, it might be the first fight since he lost his title to Gilberto Ramirez. So, you know, nice little tune-up fight. Lahau just didn't want any of Abraham's power. Got dropped, I think he got dropped a couple of times. Referee had to stop it. You know, the the one-two Abraham throws is still powerful. It's still uncomfortable for elite-level super middleweights to take. So his career will trundle on. I don't know where he goes next. Um, could he rematch Ramirez? I think Ramirez is too busy for him. Could he? Could he have a bout with someone like a DeGale, someone like a Groves? Maybe, but you know they're they're too young and hungry for him, and they both hit too hard for him. So it'd be interesting to see where he goes. Is there a fight with Sturm? Probably another old German clash. Um, what's more of more interest was actually watching Anthony Ogogo. So I'm not convinced at the moment by Ogogo. Well, I wasn't before yesterday. Um, if you look at him, for a middleweight, his legs are worryingly skinny. Um, I, I, I don't know how he's managed to make 160 kilos and seemingly just seemingly just shaved the weight off his legs. His legs are f- flamingo-esque. <laughs> it's embarrassing. You know, as a grown man, you shouldn't have legs. They're like, they're like fingers. <laughs> Bits of cotton hanging off of his shorts. <laughs> but my God, can the guy throw a right hand, though? I think he has one of the most elegant backhands in boxing at the moment. So every time he touched the lad, like I remember the lad's name, every time he touched him with that right hand, he just didn't want to know. And he throws it with such precision and the trajectory is beautiful. There's a twist at the end and it's fast. And you see that sort of punch and you go, I wonder if Chris Eubank Jr. could take a shot like that because he wouldn't see it coming. No one sees that coming. It's too quick. So it was a good win for him. Um, now that he's under the Sauland banner and the, the link-ups they have with Matchroom, let's get him in some more interesting fights now. You know, let, let, let's, let's see him fight the guys that Eubank Jr. fought and let's see how he does against them because that's really the fight you want to start to build up, Ogogo versus Eubank Jr. You know, for different reasons, they're seemingly the golden boy in the middleweight division. Let's have these guys, you know, go head-to-head. Here's Eubank, you know, a guy from a pretty well-off family who's had to dirt track it. You know, he's he's done things the harder way. And then you've got Ogogo who's kind of, you know, done things the more traditional route, you know, amateur success into Olympic success. And then, you know, you know, getting signed by the right people. So let's just see. You know, a few fights against the guys with Spike O'Sullivan, you know, just to build up that story for the fight between Eubank Jr. and Anthony Ogogo. We'll come on to this a little bit later, but we do have a question regarding Eubank, and it's about the future and what it holds for him and potential opponents. Now, the whole Golovkin things, at least for the ne- for now, it's a no-go. But it would be interesting to see you know, what the future holds for him. We'll talk about that a little bit later. For now, we've got um, Charlie Edwards on this card. Um, what, what, did he, what happened to him? I don't know. Well, he won. Not much more to say. This routine, you know, warm up. He fights on September tenth for the IBF. I think it's the IBF flyweight title he fights for, and you know, 
the guy's barely been a pro for two minutes. And, you know, he's got this opportunity. Matchroom are clearly backing him, you know, for them, you know, the IBF title seems to be an easy one for Matchroom to secure. In the same way, Warren seems to be able to get WBO title shots. Warren seems to be in with the IBF. Um, another example of how boxing tends to split along territorial lines. So, you know, that will be in addition to Lee Haskins, IBF champion, fighting Stuart Hall as well on that undercard. So, interesting times at the moment as we're building up to, you know, a very strong end of year in terms of fights. You know, I, there's definitely a chase for revenue between all the promoters now. So, I expect to see the quality of fights improving between now and the end of the year. Just want to say a quick thank you to everyone. We had record downloads last week thanks to everyone you know everyone if you're telling your friends about what we're doing here really appreciate it because we like to see ourselves as one of the independent voices you know the voice of the fans the voice of the guys who are trying to you know scratch their way in this industry so you know all of you guys will say look we were there at the beginning and that's a really special place to be so once again thank you the cl- clear the target is seven billion i mean i won't be happy until everyone on earth listens to the podcast <laughs> and downloaded it at least twice. Yeah, yeah exactly. Got to get our stats. Fourteen right. billion downloads. <laughs> we broke the internet. So once again, thanks very much. Terry is better than me at freestyling the the thank yous and the <laughs> summarising it. <laughs> so I'll leave it to your bag, Terry. So let's talk about the Golovkin Brook tickets that went on sale. Now they were like rocking horse turds, like ridiculous. I I sat online. And just sat there with a loading screen, and then pop, it came up, and I managed to get four tickets. Uh, three friends of mine, in fact, four friends of mine, were all trying to get them. They didn't get them. Um, but so <laughs> it brought my attention to something. Martin wrote about this last week on the website. Go and check it out. Um, but it's it's a criticism of Fight Pass that Matchroom um, brought forward. Um, can you explain to us what? the fight pass is and and then why why there's the negative press around it sure um for all those who haven't read it go and read martin's article at www.newageboxing.co.uk or .com i never know .co.uk thank you uh, i thought i remembered it first time so <laughs> you know definitely engage with the website there's a lot more interesting content on there but in it's a, it's a, when fight pass first came out it was a great idea it was Matchroom saying, look, we want to have satellite shows in, you know, smaller venues where our young talent can learn the trade, you know, get some get some viewers, you know, get some interactions, some behind the scenes footage, sell some tickets, you know, let's start building a profile for these guys. That was that was the genesis of Fight Pass. So you paid your thirty quid a year, I think it was, and in return you got a cheesy Matchroom T shirt, you know, the one that says I'm a hardcore boxing fan. Look at me. You know, you see all these guys, you know, other podcasts, you know, they like to advertise these silly t-shirts. We don't. We're serious. Don't worry about that. It's all good. Um, but in essence, you get the t-shirt. You got access to these events. So you could you could stream these events. And, you know, there were various other membership benefits. But what Mashin realized over time was the overhead just wasn't worth it. So they scaled back these benefits because, you know, you started to hurt ticket sales for these young fighters. So now essentially what you have with fight passes is just a way to get priority. It's like speedy boarding for boxing tickets. You know, when you get on EasyJet and you've got to pay 30 quid so you can choose your seat two days before everyone else and you get your speedy boarding you know, with the mums and the babies. It's, it's kind of like that now. So it's, in essence, you're paying 30 quid for that and that only. There's no additional value. Fight Pass is now closed to membership, I think, because it was getting to the point where only Fight Pass members would have got tickets. And what they didn't do, and to be honest, I'm happy to offer my services to Matchroom for doing this, is a simple reconciliation exercise that says, take all of the accounts, take the IP addresses, from where they were established and any that are duplicates triplicates or whatever cancel and say so you can only have one account because you essentially you know if i'm andy white for example at fight pass time i'm seeing the future and i say if i can get 30 fight pass accounts i'm okay i can you know it's easy to automate the process to then acquire the ticket so it, it's a boon for touts because they can then do that you know, and the thirty quid is worth it because you can double or triple the price on some tickets. So it it, 
it was a haven for touts. It didn't give any value to hardcore boxing fans who was targeted at because you didn't really get to see the young guys like the Craig Richards, the O'Hara Davis, the Isaac Chamberlains on any satellite shows. You, you didn't get that added value. So Martin is quite right to say, what's the value of Fight Pass other than it being a preferential way to access tickets? It's funny you should mention the ticket prices. Matchroom decided to make a bit of a, a spastic error by posting on... Can you still say that? Well, what did I say? It's spastic. You know, <laughs> I'm sure there's a charity that had to change its name because of that. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'll consider leaving that in. I don't know. I'll make a note of that. Yeah, keep it in. Keep it in. I, I like those moments of dark comedy. Okay. Well, anyway, so they made a faux pas and they put down that it's time for you to be able to get your face value tickets from StubHub. Now, I paid 80 quid, approximately 80 quid a ticket. For the four tickets I got, yeah, exactly, yeah, and I, I T- Terry's wincing at that. They were. I try. I tried to get forty quid. Tried to get sixty quid tickets. Both of them got rejected. I tried to get eighty. Gave me four tickets. After that, I couldn't get any more because I was about to start my own ticketing website. No, but I, I. So I had a look. I couldn't. Literally, everyone I knew got kicked out. So I paid. I did pay over the odds for it. I, I accept that. Um, but what frustrated me the most was that afterwards, when I had, I, I knew some other lads. I said, oh. You know, have you got any spare tickets? I said, no, we'll have a look. We looked on StubHub. And the same tickets of the same area of the stadium, which would have been sold at the same price, was up for 140 quid, was the cheapest one we had. Is there, is, there, is, this, is there anything that can be done about this? There isn't, is there? No, because, and I could be wrong on this, I doubt I am, Matchroom will have a preferential deal with AEG regarding the O2 that says, we want the O2 for this number of dates in 2016. And AEG will say, fine, you've got those. What then happens is you have a fight like Brook versus Triple G. You could have sold forty or 50,000 tickets for that fight. But you're locked into the deal you have with AEG. So it has to happen that way. So what happens is demand outstrips supply and you have this secondary market. I say to people, stop paying for these tickets just stop paying for them start streaming it's cheaper and it will teach these guys not to stitch the fans up if you keep paying this you're a sucker and you deserve everything you get well just to say you had a few beers in all bar one some food in nando's and you stood 80 feet away from the ring and you paid 200 quid for that it's not worth it you know the best view for any boxing bout is tv that's why they invest so much money in it so if you don't get the tickets don't be a sucker. Just stream it. Just watch it. And, you know, and just enjoy yourself. <laughs> okay. So, um, as a sucker who's going to go and have some food in Nando's, <laughs> probably, no, probably you, you, no, no, hold on. But you didn't pay 140 No, I didn't. But, I mean, I still accept the fact that 80 quid is still a lot to pay for, for a ticket. I mean, let's put it this way. Um... One of my friends pulled out. He said he, he was not going to pay that money. He said, I just won't pay that. That's just too much for me. It's not like he literally can't pay. It's a principle thing. Um, too. So I, it's, 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 it's sad. But I, I mean, I, I'm probably in the same boat as a lot of people. In as much, I wanted to go. I was willing to stump up the cash. Uh, but it's frustrating when you see the excess, like the 140s or whatever, and you know that that money is just going to StubHub to keep them going so that they can do it again for the next event. It's just Yeah, and then they can just keep sponsoring Matchroom. But there's a wider question here that goes, all right, I pay £80 to watch two boxers who might make it into the Hall of Fame, right? Meanwhile, there are guys charging me 35 quid minimum to get into York Hall to watch bouncers and taxi drivers box. Like this boxing market is screwed up because there's no set, there's no concept of value. Like either match me to whack up the rates on their tickets and just be honest and say, look, we're putting on world-class shows or some of these small hall guys need to say, look, 35 quid is too much. We need to start scaling back our prices because, you know, I'm sure he's a nice guy, but I'm not paying 35 quid to watch Danny Donchev again. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't entertain me and it doesn't do boxing any service at all. So I think pricing and boxing is just there's a wider issue required around that. But as long as people are making a profit, there's no incentive to change it. 
Um, let's let's move on. Well, not move on because, in as much as on the Golovkin Brook fight, so that's happening, and the fallout from it has somewhat been. I mean, it's still relevant in the headlines, and Eubank's still been on people's lips, and that takes us to brings us to a listener's question, and uh, it was from at David McGinley eighty nine on Twitter. He asks where Eubank goes from here, and then follows on to ask how does he fare versus Andy Lee. Jacobs, Quillen, and Murray. I mean, some of those are weight division variant. What I'd also like to then put two more fights into the into the mix, which are potentials for like maybe a Groves and DeGale matchup. What? Where does it? Where does he go from here? To uh, it's kind of a misnomer, just because of the way that his uh, senior is doing business at the moment. But let's just say you're in you're in charge of things now for Eubank. Where does he go from here? So first thing to accept, Eubank's the money side on this. Um, whoever he chooses to fight, Eubank's the money side on this because he sells in this country and he sells in the States. American fans are very high on Eubank. You know, they want to see him tested, though. So he's already high. He's the money side. So then you look at options and you go, I need a mix of credibility, challenge, and a manageable risk. So you look at someone like Andy Lee. Andy Lee has a prodigious right hook, but Andy Lee's eminently beatable. But it's a good fight and it's credible. Danny Jacobs, probably more of a threat than Andy Lee is. Um, you know, he dismantled Quillen in a round. You know, WBA regular champion. I mean, Danny Jacobs is one of my favorite fighters. His story is incredible. You know, he's a cancer survivor and he's still boxing at the elite level. A guy like Quillen, uh, Kid Chocolate, um, I want to say he's Cuban. I think he is Cuban. You know, stylistically, very stylish, very good. Will give Eubank all kinds of problems, but I think he's beatable too. And then there's Martin Murray. Uh, he's making a whole heap of noise now because he wants to be relevant. You know, look, after that Groves fight, Eddie's put him out to pasture and basically told him, you've got to make your own luck now. So he's talking up a Eubank Jr. fight. It's the easiest one of the lot to make. I don't think it's credible. We all know and uh, Martin Murray's a bit shot now. Does Eubank Jr. need that fight? No. Like everyone knows, I don't like Martin Murray. I just don't think anyone should give him a payday. Stylistically, I don't like that high guard that does nothing. And then you come back with that, that northern bottle. What's they call it? Grit. And you swing a few wild shots and the crowd goes crazy. He just, he just walks in straight lines towards the opponent with his guard up, doesn't he? That's what he's pretty much his tactic is. Yeah, and it's poor. It because is boring. You know, Arthur Abraham does it, but Arthur Abraham does it knowing that when he hits you, he's going to hurt you. And that's quite exciting to see the reaction when people get hit by him. But, you know, if I was Eubank Jr., I'd look for the Quillen fight. I think the Quillen fight gives you credibility and a manageable risk. Well, so what about moving up a weight division? Can you, can you see him moving up? Eventually not. Now, there's, there's, there's too much fun to be had at 160. You know, he can wait for Anthony Ogogo to come up, you know, have that fight. That'll be an all-British fight. That'll be, you know, if you can get the right card for that, that'll be part of the stadium event. You know, th th these are exciting times if you're Eubank Jr. You're, in this country, you're, you're the main man at 160. Um, globally, you're one of the three main men at 160 right now. And, you know, you move up to 168. Why is he so big in America? Why, I mean, what is he, he hasn't fought in the US yet, has he? No, but it's YouTube, isn't it? People look at this guy... They see the flurries. They see what he does. They see the vulnerabilities too. And it, when you yeah. see vulnerabilities, you're like, I want to see this guy tested. Yeah, yeah, that's true, I suppose. That, 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 Martin said it several times where he, it appeals to him to watch someone like Amir Khan fight because he's exciting because he can lose and that sort of thing. So, okay. Moving on, uh, more questions from David McGinley, who has been our sole question contributor this week. So thank you very much. Two and a half thousand people, three questions. Come on, guys. Yeah. You know? Remember, at New Age Podfather, make sure you send them to Andy, hashtag Podfather. I think that's what we should actually implement now, like a hashtag. Let's, let's go for, yeah, hashtag Podfather or, yeah, let's go for that then. You've, yeah. you've, you've coined it, let's go for yeah. it. Hashtag Podfather. That way, you know, we can find the questions and no one's questions get lost in the matrix. Let's go for, right, so David McGinley asks, Flanagan versus Crawler, who wins and who would be the current favourite? Also, what level is Langford currently at? Uh, but let's go. Let's go for the uh, Flanagan Crawler one first. How do you? Who? Who would you see as the current favourite? 
I like Tommy Flanagan. I think Flanagan's the better technician of the two. He might be the harder hitter of the two. All things being equal, I think Flanagan would win. But we know the Gallagher fighters seem to have superhuman stamina. You know, make of that what you will. And that will be a legitimate factor. So how would the fight go? You can imagine Gallagher telling his fighter, we'll catch him in the second half of the fight. So if I was in... If I, look, if I was in the opposite corner, what would I be saying? Get at him early, hit him to the body, take all of that wind, energy, steam out of him. And let's see what he has in the second half of the fight. Make it a just make it a long, drawn out fight. You know, Terry Flanagan is smart enough to do that. I think that's where Barossa went wrong against Collar, is he wasn't strategic in how he took him out. And with Gallagher fighters, you have to be strategic in that you've got to control them with the jab, you've got to work them to the body, take you know, take their energy and enthusiasm out, and you've got to break them down. You've got the first half of the fight to break them down. The second half you know, you see what they've got left in the tank. So I think I put Flanagan as the slight favourite, just based on, you know, talent levels, who I think has the better jab, who I think understands the ring better. Um, Tommy Langford, British level. You know, simple answer, David, he's British level. And I think the British board have mandated him to fight Chris Eubank Jr. for that British title. So Eubank Jr. Oh, yeah, would have to be British title fight. Yeah, well, Eubank would get his Lonsdale belt if that fight happens. Mm, we'll pay. Could that fight happen on September 10th? I guess if the money is right, yes. Would you be interested in watching it? No, because Eubank's levels above. So, well, what's the point? What? <laughs> yeah, I don't know what to talk about Eubank anymore. He's, he's, he actually bores me, so let's not go down that road. <laughs> Um, right, okay, so another question, last question from David McGinley. Are Matchroom putting on hype shows without any real close fights? Um, and is Warren building a new generation stable of stable quietly? Well, that's obviously two questions, but like, let's let's go with the Matchroom hype shows. Uh, for, for my money, they announce, uh, much the same as any other s- system, they announce the big fight, then they think about the card as an afterthought. But it, not only is it an afterthought, sometimes it's not even much of a consideration. It's just like, who's free? Are you free to come over to have a fight? Like, you know, it doesn't, there's no, there's no attempt, it doesn't seem, to give value to the fans. It's not even a consideration. So the thing about pay-per-view cards is you have a finite budget. So let's say, for example... Well, that's every card though, right? Yes, but what makes it interesting? So let's say you have a Crawler versus Linares. Right. That's going to be an expensive card to pull together, mainly because you've got to pay Crawler a lot of money as champion and you've got to pay Linares a hell of a lot of money to make it happen here. So that means that maybe they take 80% of what your budget was for the fight. Now you've got to fill a card with an additional five or six fights with only 20% of that budget left. And then you're asking questions. Will you fight for 80K? I'm not fighting him for 80K. And, you know, you go down the list until you get a card of people willing to fight. And so, uh, are we to believe... Then how how would you ever get a decent card together? Would it just be because the boxers were sacrificing money? I mean... But remember, Mayweather Pacquiao, how many fights were on that undercard? About two or three. It was a very light undercard. Because, number one, you didn't really need an undercard for that fight. You just didn't need an undercard. The fight sold itself. You didn't need the undercard. Um, if you had a Joshua versus Hay, would you need an undercard? Hand on heart, we're all going to watch Joshua versus Hay. So you can just give the slots to people who deserve the exposure. So you're um, saying undercards are becoming irrelevant? They're not irrelevant. They serve a purpose. But that purpose is defined by whoever's setting up the card. So it might be a showcase undercard. Here are all the young guys. They've all had 10 fights. They're all stepping up now. Just have a look at them. You'll see these guys in the future. We've got a captive audience. So, you know, let's give them the, the airtime. Or if your main event's going to be a bit sticky stylistically, what you'll have is a few old war horses who can bang a bit, match them up together, you know, some slugfests. So I don't know if anyone saw Williams versus Corcoran. 
you know, that on, on the Frank Warren card, that was a similar fight where it was just two guys just smacking lumps out of each other. No finesse, all power. So undercards are, they're basically hit and miss. We only know a good or a bad undercard afterwards. Because, you know, there are times you look at bouts and you think that's going to be rubbish and then you're pleasantly surprised. So our match room putting on hype shows without any real close fights was the question. But Yes, because Eddie Hearn has a WWE mentality which says, I need to build stories to key pay-per-views. So every so all these all these have a purpose. You're, you're telling a story. You're going to have Golovkin versus Brook. Then you're going to have Eubank Jr. as chief support. And what's going to happen there is, you know, you're going to sell a story. Eubank Jr. might come to the to the side of the ring and have a look in. It's all it's, it's all very Vince McMahon at the moment. So yeah, they, there's a lot of hype around it. You're you're not going to see a legitimately fifty fifty fight. There's too much risk. You know, the house fighters are the ones that generate the revenue. Why are you going to bring someone from outside to upset the apple cart? Now, if we look at the second part of the question, is Frank Warren building a new stable? Mm, it's kind of a different question, isn't it? But yeah. He is. But I keep saying this. You're not going to get them to cross over on Box Nation. He needs to ditch the Box Nation experiment. I think he's better at building talent. I think he's better at discovering talent. I think Frank Warren puts better cards together. Um, I think in what respect more rounded cards more even cards more entertaining cards I look at his cards and I feel those guys could go anywhere you know he he brings people on at the right pace it's not too slow it's not too fast you know so the, it's a, it's a, it's a de- his cards become a decent breeding ground for prospects is what you're exactly. saying exactly you know he, he he's creating stars he, he's about that longevity he wants to get his guys making a lot of money. So, you know, it's similar to a discussion we had in a previous podcast. Who would you want to go with? Would you want to go with Eddie Hearn, Mick Hennessy, Frank Warren, Steve Wood, Dave Corwell, or whoever? The simple answer is you want to go with guys like Frank Warren because they know how to build careers. He has a legacy of doing it. Okay, so contrary to what our normal running order is going to be, so we usually finish on Argue the Inarguable. We're going to do that now, and then Terry's going to give us a lowdown on a few bits he wants to talk about. So, Monsieur Terry, are you ready? Okay, this is your argue the inarguable. Eubank Sr. is a visionary and should be listened to for his foresight and wisdom. He should become the sport's primary organiser and promoter in the UK. If you look up Eubank's nostrils, you can actually see his brain, and his brain is 20% larger than the average man. (laughs) And that means that he sees things that we don't see. In fact, it's, his brain's not a thinking machine. It's a receptor for aliens from another planet who tell him what's best for his son, what's best for British boxing, and more importantly, what's best for Eddie Hearn and Matchroom. So I don't understand why Eddie doesn't listen to him when, you know, the evidence is right there. If you just tilt your head and look up both, both barrels, man, you'll see exactly what you need both to see. barrels? <laughs> That's good. That's really good. <laughs> if you look up his nose, you can see his brain. <laughs> okay. You got that on pause. <laughs> no. <laughs> Shit. Sorry, Chris. <laughs> Leave that shit in there. <laughs> right. What did you want to talk about then? Because, to be honest, for me, whoa, you've just, uh, that's an exclamation point right there. I mean, that was supposed to be argued the inarguable, not raise valid points. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, man. Um, look, great thing about this podcast is what we want to do is give people an insight into everything that's going on, things to get excited about, things to be aware of. So it's just a chance for me just to, you know, shout out some people who are starting out or some people who are just in the shadows doing fantastic things. You know, the sport of boxing is a patchwork of many different stories, many different people, many different, you know, I mean, adventures and stories, you know. So it's just a yeah, chance for people to just to be aware. Look, you know, start out with a massive shout out to Eleanor McCarthy over in Australia, young lady working out of Mundine's gym. You know, that's run by Tony Mundine Sr., so Anthony Mundine's dad. She does fantastic things for the community in Redfern in Sydney. Any of our Australian listeners will understand that. If you are in Sydney, and we have listeners in Sydney, uh, how many is that? 272. So if you guys are interested in boxing, go and see her. One of my long-standing friends in the sport. 
and the lady who made me believe in female boxing as a sport. So if you can find Eleanor McCarthy, aka Little E Fitness on Instagram, fantastic young lady, um, tower of strength. You know, things that have been happening. The GB trials are finished. So big congratulations to Martin McDonough, young man, I think he's 21, 22, been selected as part of the England squad. So expect him to do fantastic things. So to dive in there, who are our best prospects for GB gold in boxing? Wow. Testing um, you there. Testing. Let me go from top to bottom. 91 kilos, Joe Joyce will have to beat Tony Yoka. Tony Yoka looks something special. Um, you know, I think he beat Joseph Parker years ago in like the Youth Olympics. So he has pedigree in the amateurs. Joe's got it, got it all cut out, but Joe's a strong lad, very fit, and he's consistent. So he has a chance. Um, then we go down to 91 kilos. We've got Lawrence Pennyboys. O'Collier, class act. Um, the only other person I put at his level at his weight in this country is Ricardo Slew. And I'd love Ricardo to come back. You know, I think we've got one more ABA title, you know, in him. And good friend of mine. So I'm slightly biased in that sense. So, no. so Lawrence looks really, really good for the record. Um, nice and rangy. I don't know what his future weight is. Is it cruiser? Is it just straight heavyweight? He's got the size and the frame to do both. So I wish him all the best. He has a really good chance. 91 is one of those divisions where if you're a standout, you can normally win. Then we go to 81. We've got Joshua Boazzi. Class act. I think of all of them, he's the most likely to win gold. He's the most likely to be a pro superstar. And he could accomplish more than Anthony Joshua. He he has wow. everything. He can box. High praise indeed. He, when you see a guy up close, man, it's impressive. He can box. He can brawl. He can control distance. He so can, nullify can we you. legitimately, maybe not expect, but can we can legitimately hope that perhaps this time next year we've got gold medalist heavyweights ready to become professional fighters um, to then so to make the heavyweight division even stronger. So Joe Joyce is thirty. So he's playing catch-up in a lot of ways. The upside is he's been in a pretty much a professional setup for the last three or four years. And he's got the size and the strength to do it. If you want to get excited about heavyweights, I keep saying Courtney Bennett. 20 years old. And he will give anyone in his weight class trouble at the moment. You know, he just needs some seasoning, some stamina, and he just needs to mature and fill out. He's the guy everyone should be getting behind. Get excited about Courtney Bennett. If anyone... Follows the Seven Wolves. You'll see him on there. If you if you're my friend on Facebook, you know, you'll have access to that man. He's he's a class act. He's a nice guy. Could probably sell 400 tickets today. So yeah, you know, so that's a good. He's a good talent. He might do Team GB next year, if you know if they have the foresight to pick real talent. But you know, Daniel Dubois is a threat as well. Let's not forget Daniel Dubois. So he's he's another young guy at that 91 plus range, but he can make 91 as well. So what they do with that will be interesting. I'm trying to think of all the other weights. 75 kilos. I don't think Anthony Fowler has what it takes. 75 is a hard division to win. It will be an Eastern European of some description who will win that. Um, I can't even remember who's at 69. I think you you Joe Joe Cordina at 64 has a chance. He'll definitely medal. Pat McCormack at 60. Bertley lad, I remember meeting with the Harringay Box Cup. Bertley are a boxing machine. You know, massive shout out to to those guys out there. I never know if it's Tony Davis, but they've got the GB coach up there. He's ex-Bertley too. So Pat McCormack could medal. He's got a brother, Luke. I don't know if they're twins. I think they are. And, you know, that'll go a long way. And he's at 60. And then we've got guys like Keish Ashfak from up Leeds, Bermontoff Way. Muhammad Ali. Pardon the pun, but he's should be the weight class down. I don't know if it's Harvey Horn who's down there as well or Jack Bateson, but all those guys have a chance to medal, but it's competitive at the smaller weights, so we'll see what happens. You know, um in the ladies, Savannah Marshall, 75's competitive. Um I expect Clarissa Shields to take gold pretty easily. She looks in incredible shape right now. Um and she's just been beating people up for fun. Not sure if Anna Laurel from Sweden will be doing it. Six foot one, seventy-five kilos. Slightly awkward. So that's a competitive weight division. You know, shouts out to Kay Scott if she made it through as well. Um K 
Katie Parker, another Australian at 75. She's only 19 years old. She might have made it to the Olympics. I need to check the qualifiers on that. Um, so clearly these aren't, not all of these are Team GB. No, no, I'm just saying that's, just that, 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 that's the landscape you've got to look at when you're yeah. looking at who's going to win. I don't even know who's got it 60 kilos. I was going to say Sandy Ryan, but I don't think anyone qualified at 60, to be honest with you. Um, but if you want to get excited about the Olympics, look for Shelly Watts. There's a Vimeo video that describes Shelly Watts. I haven't seen someone that mentally strong for a hell of a long time. So on the women's side, man, all over Shelly Watts. But she's a class act, brilliant human being. Yeah, she's married. So for Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, I'm at the boxing. Yeah, yeah. And then 51, we're looking at Nicola Adams again. I, I don't see her being decent. Fantastic lady, fantastic ambassador for the sport. So uh, genuinely happy, you know. The people I feel sorry for are the ones who get caught between weights. So I've got a friend, Sherelle Brown, who I think is fantastic. Right? As a boxer, she's fantastic, smooth, silky. If she could boil down to 60, which I don't think she can, she might have had a chance. But 64 is not an Olympic weight, unfortunately. So there are people like that, you know, all over the game, working hard. You know, your Shannon Courtney's at 57, your Lisa Moores. You know, look, Kelly Harrington. World Championship silver medalist, and she's at 64 as well. You know, didn't make 60 because who have you got to fight? You've got to fight Katie Taylor. So it's all, it's all very awkward. But that's a quick roundup of, you know, what the medal landscape looks like. Everyone get behind the Olympics, you know, enjoy it. And we'll keep discussing that regularly on the show. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the reason why we'll bring that up. As and when the time comes around. Expertly summarised, Terry. Expertly summarised. And then, you know, unfortunate, you know, there's meant to be a boxing show today. Dove Promotions, my friend Domac and Lardy didn't get to fight Tom Little. But guys, get behind Domac and Lardy. Follow the guy on Twitter. He is the most skillful heavyweight in this country. Full stop. Like, very old school, very talented. If you want to know how to box as a big man, you watch That's Dom. That's quite a statement. You watch Dom. Um, How old is he? Don't fuck, 36. So, if you, anyone that's trained at Miguel's, or if you are in Miguel's, ask Ian Lewison, ask Dillian White, ask all the old school guys what Dom's like. He's just, just a joy to watch. You know, if you combined Dom's skill set with Dillian's obsession with fighting, you'd have the best boxer we've had here since Lennox Lewis. Um, what else has been happening in the world of boxing? Roy Jones Jr. wants to fight again. For God's sake, just stop. Why? Yo, Keith Thurman. Where is he going to fight this time? He's going to take on Mongolian citizenship. No, so fight. he's he's fighting in Pensacola against some, I think the guy's 17 and 11. So he's fighting a 40-year-old. He should beat him. The guy hasn't won for nine years. So he should win there. But Roy Jones, just hang him up, please. You know? I know he owes the Russian promoters money because they paid his tax bill, but I don't know how long he has to keep fighting for. It's sad to see. Forever. Seemingly. <laughs> you know, the, the purse is making his way to the ring with, in a wheelchair. You know, just fight James Tony. You know, let, let, let's have these, let's have the, the, the has-beens fighting each other, and then that way we won't feel so bad. Let them have three-rounders. You know, just get the stuff out of their system. Um, yeah, so, so it's been an interesting sujon through the world of boxing. Um, London AGM for the amateur side, will be happening on the 7th of August, I think. Why is that important? London's pretty much the engine of amateur boxing in this country, and it looks like, depending on the vote, London ABA might decide to secede from England boxing. Which means? They will no longer be part of England boxing. Yeah, I mean, well, what ramifications does that have for the sport? Um, clubs having to choose what they're going to do, Why basically. would they do that? It's all about control. You oh, know, okay. You know, right. the, More politics in boxing. Exactly. Everyone it, it, loves it's, politics. It's politics, court cases, and money. And the one thing that boxing... Exactly. The three things that boxing fans love more than boxing. And essentially, it's a fight over money. Just, the, the regional bodies want money. You know, the central body wants the money too. It thinks that's better for transparency and these sorts of things. And clubs are genuinely torn. You know, you're having votes, you know, in the Northwest, 16 to 9 in favour of withholding money. It just needs to be sorted out because the alternative doesn't look that great. I think England Boxing should listen to some of the complaints. Bring back the 71 kilo weight division. Bring back the 86 kilo weight division. You know, let's start getting back to how we were before where there were competitive fights. So uh, there's a long way to go in that one. It's, it's just what boxing needs to become more fragmented. 
Exactly. Um, <sighs> it's it's a nightmare. But as a coach, my commitment is to making sure my guys can get to the top, and I will align myself to any situation that guarantees all options are open. Yeah, Olympic, well, that, that, professional. That's everything. natural, isn't it? That's yeah. na- natural when you care about the people you're working with. But it's still from a, the sports perspective, just in just a constant embarrassment that there doesn't. It seems to be the there's no sport even close to the turmoil that happens in boxing. You know, I realize not all all sports are as maybe cohesive as, you know, some sports, but it's just all over the shop boxing, all over the shop. And it's and I did a disservice to the to the fans. It's embarrassing. You know, yeah. I, I played rugby for years, you didn't have this sort of drama. You just kind of knew there was certainty. And that's what we lack at the moment, the certainty, leadership and guidance. And hopefully, you know, in the next six months or so, we'll get to a stable place where people realise, look, it's about what's best for the youngsters and the guys coming through. You know, God, I'm really doing a whistle-stop tour here. Um, you know, we shouted out Big Dom. We shouted out Eleanor. You know, who else do I need to shout out? And, you know, we've done Martin McDonald, Chris Smith, who've done fantastic things at the GB trials. Jordan Reynolds as well. Get behind him. 75 kilos. He looks like... He'll be a hell of a ticket seller, fresh out the box. You know, he's got a young rival coming up in Jordan Thompson as well from Jewelry Court in Birmingham. You know, so that's all looking good and exciting. I've got to shout out my guy, Jonathan Palata, man. You know, boxed well in the Herringay, is really looking the part. If he goes pro, you know, it'll be interesting. He's quite wild-esque in, the, in his shot selection, you know. If we can just add a few... What hand-breaking shots. Well, well, <laughs> he's more bombs. of a thinking fighter than Wilder, but he boxes fantastically. That doesn't seem court. to that doesn't seem to need require much to be more of a thinking boxer than Wilder. Yeah, so so JP, you know, doing fantastic things. You know, you know, all of these guys, Ches Nihil, who who he fought in the semi-finals of the Harringay, who had England trials as well. All these guys, you know, it, it's it's a great time in boxing right now. So. If you're a fan, get onto these guys at Twitter. There's always a story. It's exciting, you know. Get behind the coaches, you know, Billy Rumble, Charlie Rumble. All of the, you know, everyone's doing great things. My friend Simon Rose at Fitzroy Lodge, Mark Rygate at Fitzroy Lodge, you know, Roy Connor, you know, I think one of the only guys to beat Michael Watson twice in the amateurs. He's doing great things at the Lynn. Boxing's, it's in a healthy state, you know. The problem is it's, it's lions led by lambs. Okay, that brings us to the end. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye from me. Bye from me, and goodbye from Martin. See you later, guys.